Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good night, whenever the heck you happen to be listening to this. Uh, this is the Northside Sox podcast, part of the Southside Sox podcast network. My name is Janice Scurrio. With me, as always, is the inimitable Sam Sherman. Today is, yet again, another very special episode. I know I say this about every single one of our episodes, but no, for real, this is like like actually special. Uh, so any former guests who are listening to this, I'm really sorry, uh, but... Anyway, uh, joining us this morning uh, is Sean Evans. He is the host of the Hot One Show. And uh, yeah, you might not have known this, but he is a lifelong White Sox fan. Super cool. Uh, So we will be asking him on his spicy White Sox takes. Uh, So uh, Sean, how the heck are you? Uh, and also, too, how did you become a White Sox fan? I'm going to hit you with that one-two punch this morning. Sure. Uh, well, I think, like, you kind of are. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. But I think you are whatever your dad is. So, you know, like, uh, my dad was a White Sox fan. Uh, he had family that grew up on the South Side, so he was born with it. Even though I was born in Evanston and grew up in the Northwest suburbs, was the only White Sox fan in kind of a sea of Cubs fans and uh you know it's just from like going to the ballpark like I remember my first one of my first core memories was going to the old Comiskey Park my dad wanted to take me there before it got taken down um and I just remember being in love with the ballpark and the smells and like how beautiful a fly ball looks and just the guys playing catch and just being uh awestruck by the visual stimulation of it all and then uh, that kind of turned into playing little league and then playing traveling baseball and then playing high school baseball and all of that stuff. And all along the way, uh, for better or worse, being a White Sox fan through all of it. And uh, that's kind of the evolution of the, the whole thing. Well, you're certainly on the right show. Uh, at, but when we were trying to think of names for this podcast, we figured, you know, we're both Northsiders. Uh, I live in Evanston, actually. Uh, oh, cool. Sam also uh, lives in uh I mean, I live in West Town, but I uh, from from the the north the North Shore suburbs originally. So, yeah. okay, all of us. <laughs> yeah, so we definitely know what it's like to be surrounded with uh, Cubs fans. Uh, so, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> I had a question, Sean, and and if this is uh, if this is too much of a stretch, just shut it down. But I wonder, growing up um, around so many Cub fans. Did that did that give you any kind of a feeling of like a chip on your shoulder being a Sox fan? Yeah, I mean, there. yeah, I guess there's a little bit of that resentment. Like right now, um, all of my, you know, I'm on a group chat with like a bunch of my friends and they're all Cubs fans. And I kind of have like a Matt Damon, Ben Affleck thing. Like all my friends I've been friends with since second grade on this group chat. So they're all Cubs fans. And, you know, like times like these, you can, you know, the laughing face emoji comes out a little bit more and, you know, you can kind of poke a little bit at those guys because they had such a good run for a few years and they were certainly uh, rubbing my face in it. So it, it, it has that sort of side to it or like definitely when I was a kid, I just hated the Cubs. As I've grown up though, you know, like I used to live in Lakeview and I'd have many birthdays and the left field bleachers and those were always a good time. And then I enjoyed going to Wrigley Field. I threw out a first pitch at the Cubs at that Wrigley Field a few years ago for the Cubs and they've always treated me really nice. So over the years, I guess I've kind of come to appreciate the whole breadth of it. And then moving to New York, you know, you do root for Chicago to succeed in those things. And I always try to rep the city as much as I can. So I guess as I've grown older, 
more mature. I've aged out of that, like, come suck thing, you know? Uh, but at the same time, growing up with it, uh, it, it definitely the chip on your shoulder, definitely feeling like the, the city's second team and those sorts of wins and those crosstown rivalries always meant more. If the Sox were having a good year and the Cubs were having a bad year, there's always maybe a little more beating of your chest that went on because of that. So kind of wrapping that question around a little bit, um, being, you know, living out in New York now and being, you know, having Midwestern roots. And here's the part of the question that might be too much of a stretch, but I don't know here. So, uh, you know, you're, you know, you're around a lot of, you know, you, you, I, I would certainly consider you a celebrity yourself. You're around a lot of celebrities all the time in these circles, things like that. Now being out in New York, do you ever kind of have that Midwestern? Uh, I don't think it would necessarily be the chip on the shoulder, but uh, do you ever feel that when you're out in, whether it's New York or LA? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like the life. I like the coastal lifestyle. So I think it's just a, a good thing to have all of that. And just such a blessing to be able to travel all these different places and do all the crazy things that I've done uh, in my life, especially over the last half decade or so. So I'm not sure it's that, but I would definitely say the Midwest has shaped and informed everything about who I am um, in my career uh, from, you know, I think people in Chicago are really funny. So maybe, you know, the sense of humor kind of gets shaped through that Midwest upbringing or being nice, you know, that's maybe not something that you hear so much about like people who grew up on the coast. So there are those things in, in uh, certainly ways that the Midwest has, has shaped me, but, but not in a way that I feel like I have like a chip on my shoulder because of it. Sure. Right. So earlier this year, uh, so you unveiled Fernando Tatis Jr. as the cover athlete for MLB The Show. Uh, that was so totally cool. So I foolishly predicted that maybe the cover athlete would be a, would be a White Sox player based on your affiliation with us. Uh, so it turns out you just really like the game. Uh, and yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our history with him aside, uh, Tatis, he's a generational superstar, a really great player to watch. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite players to watch, too. Uh, so uh, but if a White Sox player were to be on the cover of the show for 2022, uh, who would you pick and why? I mean, I think there's a lot of people to pick from. I think the obvious sort of star power reaches the demographic that would be buying the show on PlayStation, I think, or Xbox or whatever. I think it's, you know, Tim Anderson is probably the, the most direct through line there um, because he has not only, uh, an, he's not only an amazingly talented baseball player, but then also has these sort of like breakthrough pop cultural moments. And in the same way, Tatis, like if you look at all the show, um, all the show commercials it's just like you know i changed the game like i'm a rule breaker i'm a rebel and tim anderson is part of that new generation of athletes that are kind of redefining kind of knocking the dust off of baseball a little bit from this sort of like fuddy-duddy unwritten rules thing um so i think tim anderson is probably the most direct through line there but there are a lot you know i i think in terms of explosive personalities that would just look good on the cover you know you have uh, Liam Hendricks, who I think would be awesome. And just that fist pump on the cover would look great. Lance Lynn, he's just so Southside. It's like, almost like they found a Sox fan just throwing smoke in the parking lot during a tailgate and then just signed him to the team. Um, Jose Abreu, forever my captain too. So uh, you could just go right down through the lineup. Louis Robert, Eloy coming back. You know, like there's all these guys who, uh, you know, you can just go right down the roster. Lucas Giolito even too has kind of a real sort of um, internet crossover going on with him too. So uh 
I could go right down the roster and make a case for a lot of those guys. And that's in part why it's such an exciting and fun team to watch. I think the big theme when you uh, say look through all the players that you just named, uh, they're, they're big personalities. They're guys who have this big, uh, wide range of outreach where, uh, say, they can bring in uh, fans of all demographics to kind of help grow the game. Now, Sam, before we went on the show or uh, started recording, you had a real fantastic question about growing the game and the state of things right now because we need people to kind of like just kind of blow the dust off baseball because uh, right now uh, for the most part there's this big uh, assumption that it's a boys club an old boys club uh, so so Sam that question uh, so yeah I, I basically uh, you know you've obviously been a part of creating something that's um, to say the least uh, incredibly viral incredibly uh, um, kind of crosses all over all ages, all demographics. It seems like something that, you know, pretty much everybody can get into. Um, and with that in mind, uh, not to put you too much on the spot here, um, but if, if you're Rob Manfred, we've seen, him, we've seen him attempt things with rule changes and who knows what else uh, to kind of grow the game, to try and get it to younger audiences, to, to you know, more diverse audiences. What, what would be something out there that, that if you've maybe ever thought about this or not, um, if you had that, you know, you're, 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 uh, you know, co commissioner Evans and what are you doing to grow the game? I think baseball is in an awesome place actually, because I think ultimately what it comes down to is, is the talent, the players, the superstars, you know, that's what brings people to the stadium and gets people to buy tickets and jerseys and the MLB package and all of those things. What, what draws people in are the superstars. And I actually think, MLB, maybe for, to me right now, it's the best era of young superstars since the nineties, you know, when you go all the way through from like Otani to um, Vlad Guerrero to Tatis, like we talked about, we talked about all those different White Sox players to Soto and Mookie Betts. And, you know, there's all these guys who are young and are kind of redefining things in a bunch of different ways, you know, especially Otani, you know, playing from both sides and pitching like a Cy Young and hitting like he's going to win an MVP, you know, all of these things. It's such an exciting time to watch baseball, you know, even like you see the way that like the baseball card market, which was dead for 20 years is now exploding. Who knows? That's like NFTs and new money and, and, people just it's like the new wine or something for all these like bros who are now making crypto money or whatever but <laughs> for whatever reason that's kind of exploded too and i think in part because there are so many young talented players and then if you look at what mlb does kind of putting a foot in both worlds with the the youtube stuff and broadcasting games on youtube and they're talking about different uh distribution rights and the way that they're going to present these games in a lot of ways i think that they're doing the right thing but the most important asset that they have and they have it in spades is the young exciting players so i think that um baseball if i look at the contracts i don't think you know we can grow the game grow the game grow the game but it looks like it's pretty robust and healthy look at like looking at uh the type of money these guys are making so um and you got to look at the way that these stars a lot of them it's a it's an international flair you know so the the game on a on a global scale feels to be feels like it's in a pretty healthy place and then the talent is crazy you know the way that technology has been introduced to the game it, i think in a weird way that you can see that impact the most in baseball. So I think like now, sometimes I watch these high school games on YouTube and stuff. 
kids are so good at baseball now. They're so good at baseball, way better than when I played. So you just think, all right, well, if those, te- if those kids get continue to be better, you bring them in from all over the world. Um, and then they get into the game and show what they can do. It's just, um, a, it's this very exciting time to watch baseball, in my opinion, because of these players. And I think it's only going to get better. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, it's almost like to me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a combo of, of sort of a baseball traditionalist. And also I'm open to, you know, new rules and things like that, if they make sense. Um, but, uh, you're right. I mean, the stage is really set for the continued growth. It's just kind of a matter of. Um, hopefully them not messing up that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, always, that's always the prop. That's always the challenge. Um, so, you know, I think that when it comes to uh, celebrity sports fans, you know, there's different levels of that. So, um, you know, there's there's fans that you'll see or there's, there's celebrities that might be spotted wearing, a you know, a, a team's hat out, you know, in, in, at a, you know, at a court side at a game or they'll just be out at a restaurant or whatever. Um, I don't know why they're necessarily wearing a hat in a restaurant, but that's beside the point. Um, but when it comes to you, I know I'm um, obviously being a, a diehard, not only a White Sox fan, but, a, you know, an Illinois, Illinois athletics fan. Um, I don't get the impression at all that, that you're one of these casual, you know, celebrity fans. Um, I, I, and, and so with that, you know, how, how does that come out for you being more on the diehard side of things? And, and does that still come out for you um, at this point in your life? I know um, there's been there were several Illinois games this year where I think my girlfriend, uh, was very concerned and, and probably had to leave uh, the apartment because of how I was uh, screaming um, or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, she doesn't, she's the number of times she said, they can't hear you. They can't hear you. It's a TV. Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, staggering, but anyway, does any of that stuff still come out for you? Well, I mean, th- for me, it's just uh, the escapism of watching a game and just chilling out, you know, that's, that's what I seek from it. Um, so yeah, when I'm watching, I'm, I'm, I'm locked in. And I guess I, what's kind of interesting about when you have a popular YouTube show is, uh, and it draws a lot of people and people become interested in you or whatever, just kind of the things that you do become things. So it's not like, um, it's not like you're like, oh, I want to I'm going to be the White Sox fan or I'm going to be the Illinois fan. You just kind of are those things. And, you know, maybe you'll be like watching the game and have some sort of update on Twitter about it or Instagram or whatever. And then you become like the, he's a White Sox. He's like a White Sox fan. Like you get lumped into that group or that family and you throw out a first pitch and you get invited to the game and then you're on the scene and, players watch the show and you meet people and then you kind of accidentally infiltrate the inner sanctum of these teams, just like magically randomly just by being who you are. So that's been an amazing byproduct of the whole thing. And really my only goal in all of this, you know, like, uh, like uh, they, they all mean different things, you know, like it's nice to get nominated for an Emmy or uh, sick that like Saturday night live would, um, would uh, parody hot ones, but ultimately, you know, I'm coming back to Chicago this weekend and watching the games against the Yankees uh, um, at, at the stadium. And those are the things that uh, really excite me or really feel like they're the, the fruits of all of this. So how does it feel to be the, the face of White Sox fandom then? <laughs> oh, I can't, you know what? I can't take that. I can't, I, I can't accept that. I can't accept that. But um, this year, 
it's been awesome, you know, and, and even last year I had a good time until, until the end, but this year it's been, uh, it's just been a, a lot of fun to watch this team every day. And I've been locked in and even in New York got MLB TV and I'm watching the games every night and love listening to Steve Stone and Benetti call games. It's a kind of a, a comfort thing for me. It gives me a, a piece of home when I'm far away all the time. That's an excellent, uh, excellent uh, statement there. It's mainly because when I talk to fans of other teams, they often tell tell me, uh, you guys are spoiled having Benetti and Stone in the booth. And I absolutely agree. They're both absolutely fantastic. Uh, so uh, this is probably a question that you've been asked so many times on the White Sox side. So, so who is your White Sox dream guest on, on Hot Ones? Well, I, I, I think it, maybe it's like inevitable, but... Um... Lucas Giolito is a Hot Ones fan, and then I was such a fan of him, so he reached out. So those are the things that are kind of exciting, you know. And he's and I, he's like, oh, I love the show. Um, I'd love to try the sauces. So we like sent all the sauces out to him, and he was he was doing the gauntlet just for fun. Um, so those are kinds of things that uh, when they happen, and and the culture kind of touches your world in a unique way. Um, those are the things that that make you feel good. I. I think that um the guy who was sort of made in a lab for hot ones and it'd be such an amazing interview interview would be Ozzie Guillen that would be awesome or um you know I grew up idolizing Frank Thomas and I think he's so great uh, as a polished broadcaster so I'm sure that show would be excellent um but a lot of the guys I mentioned before too you know like Liam Hendricks would be so good on that Lance Lynn would be so good on that Giolito so good on that Tim Anderson so good on that and I could go on and on and on yeah, kind of like what you mentioned before, uh, the team is just filled with all of these fantastic personalities. So I can just even uh, predict now all of the strings of uh, obscenities that Lance Lynn would probably say. <laughs> yeah, it'd be amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Liam Hendricks, too. I, I, I could definitely just see that that episode in particular just like being extremely entertaining. <laughs> definitely. So moving on to more White Sox stuff. Uh, so at the trade deadline, uh, White Sox fans were uh, not expecting much, honestly, or at least maybe I'm speaking for myself. I told everyone that I would be uh, disappointed but not surprised if the White Sox didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, uh, but they end up, ended up picking up Cesar Hernandez, uh, Craig Kimbrell, of course, uh, Ryan Tapera. Uh, but is there anyone in particular at any new acquisition that you're particularly excited about? Well, I, I thought they did what they needed to do, which was strengthen the bullpen. You know, that was supposed to be a major strength coming into the season and was probably the weak link in the chain, quite frankly, for, for most of the season. So I thought they did what they needed to do and went out and got a couple arms uh, that shortened the game. And then the starting pitching has been so good all season that I thought that was the thing that they really needed to do. And then I think getting Hernandez on top of that was just even better and he's been so good uh since coming over to the White Sox and plays great defense and he's been hitting and then you have these other hitters that are coming into the lineup so the thing does seem to be falling in a way that I think gives us a shot so I think all you do at the trade deadline you know it, it sucks to lose some guys like Madrigal who I really liked a lot but at the same time you know these opportunities these windows they slam shut rebuilds in professional baseball are so brutal and long. So if you have a shot at it, I think you need to go all in. And I think they did the best that they could do adding to the, to the bullpen, which I thought was the most important thing. Like at second base, I didn't, I wasn't sure they needed, you know, I was like, I, I can rock with Garcia the rest of the season, you know, like that's kind of where I was at on that. But then you go out and get some guy like Cesar Hernandez and 
you know, the, the lineup shapes up just that much better. You just have like another dangerous bat, a guy who drives and runs, a guy who hits homer. So I thought uh, they did an amazing job. You can never really like please everybody, especially uh, in the Sox fandom where they'll be like, oh, well, what about Frazier? And get all mad and think like you can just willy nilly make trades like you do playing the show or something. So I thought uh, Rick Hahn has been surgical all the way through this whole thing. And then this seems like another W for the team. And I guess we'll see uh, come October if it all pays off because it was, you know, maybe – a long term, you lose a little something renting those guys for just the remainder of the season and then losing a guy like Madrigal. But that's the risk. And uh, I'm, I'm rolling with Rick on it. I, I'm, all, I'm all in. Yeah, uh, I agree. Rick has done a pretty fantastic job uh, just with. Uh, yeah, like you said, he's he's been surgical. He's been methodology methodological. Uh, no, that's not how you methodical. Say it. Methodical. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so uh, everything is falling into place. Uh, they're doing pretty well, like just in general. The rotation's been amazing. They're first in the league in a handful of categories. I know ERA. I think someone brought up uh, walks to strikeouts. Uh, mostly everyone uh, in the rotation and the lineup is fully healthy. We're just waiting for Yasmani Grandal to fully heal up. Uh, Kimbrell and Hendricks are that two-headed monster. Uh, in your opinion, does this team really have any weaknesses? Uh, I mean, you know, there's some things, the, the, the way that they play on the road has not been anywhere as close to the level that they play at home. Um, and you know, like sometimes, you know, yesterday it was encouraging, you know, the weekend was encouraging, but the, the teams, I think they're like something on home runs, like third lowest or something like that in baseball. And then if you look at the teams that are around them, all of those teams stink. So they're kind of a statistical anomaly in that way. And then you'd always think the White Sox are basically like a, like a beer league softball team most seasons where like, that's all they do is hit bombs. So I think it's been good to see the way that it mixes up that way. You also look at their record versus teams that are above 500 and it's slightly sort of like, you know, those are things that give you a little bit of sort of like, it's not totally perfect, but it's never going to snap into a Rubik's cube exactly how you want it. I think they have the third highest win percentage in baseball right now. And they keep winning games when I tune in like every night. Um, and they've done so with uh, a lot of their key players hurt with significant injuries that stretch on for months and months and months. So ultimately when I look at it, um, I thought, you know, last year after this decade of just being a miserable White Sox fan, I was like, they, they need to do something here. They need to win one playoff game. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my mind. They did do that. And then this year, I thought, you know, they need to come out and play. Kind of came out the gate a little bit of a stumble, lost a lot of guys to injuries. But through it all, you know, even when there is a little bit of engine failure, the plane stays up in the air and it just keeps flying. And, and when you think they take a step back, they never take two steps back. You know, they might have a bad series or a bad game, but their bounce back is great. So the, the, the team's coming back. It's healthy. The clubhouse seems loose there's not any drama around the team like you see with uh some other organizations so in 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 that way i don't know i feel really good about it seems like they're gonna cakewalk into the playoffs i you know knock on wood uh, but a 10 and a half game lead at this point the division the rest of the division playing the way that they are i don't know things look pretty good so we'll go in and, and see how it goes, but I'm bullish and I, I feel great about the way everything is played. I'm my teams being a white Sox fan, being a bears fan, being an Illinois fan, being a bulls fan, you know, like the last 
a decade, decade and a half has been kind of hard. So uh, now with all my teams treating me pretty good, I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm just trying not to complain about anything. This is kind of awesome. Yeah, as as fans of pretty much, you know, team for team across the board, uh, the same here. It's the same. It's, it's very strange. It's a very uh, it's a very strange feeling. It's not something I've, I think I'm, I'm still kind of getting used to it. Uh, yeah, just but, enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, everything you said, I'm ready to run through a brick wall myself. <laughs> Um, I had, I had one other question kind of about your uh, process a little bit. Um, and, and so I, I think back to when I was a freshman in college, uh, didn't have, you know, a ton of friends kind of lonely. So I, one day I thought to myself, I used to do sort of like, you know, random podcasts here or there, but one day I was like, I want to do, I want to interview. I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, I think it'd be cool to interview Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob and a lot of other, you know, uh, animated characters. Um, very, very random thought, but I thought, well, I don't have any platform to interview him, but I'm just going to reach out and say, I, ha I have this podcast. I didn't, I made up a podcast. They got back to me the same day. They're like, sure, Tom, will talk to you. So I interviewed Tom Kenny. So I basically made up this podcast to get Tom Kenny on. Uh, this is to say, we did not make this podcast. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was doing the math. <laughs> but, I mean, you could have, we're, we're too deep in the game to turn that's back. That's true. Around. Yeah. We, uh, but that, that all said, um, I've heard you before talk on, you know, in different interviews and, and things like that about um, the pitches that you, that you would make. I mean, obviously now where hot ones is now it's a different place than it was, you know, earlier on where maybe now it's a lot more people kind of reaching out to be on, you know, you become a part of the, of the, the media tours and things like that. Um, but early on, I mean, are there any stories that you can share about some of the more kind of unique or, or um, creative pitches to get some guests before, you are as known as, as you are now? Well, they're not as, they're not too dissimilar from the story that you just told. You know, there was like a lot of sort of, I remember for the Tanache episode, we crashed her cover shoot and kind of like just showed up and like offered it as just sort of an add-on thing. And I guess just being in a position to be like, you know, to turn it down in person or not. And then kind of being like, all right, fine. I guess we'll do it after this is done, set up in the corner over there and and, and we'll see you in about an hour. So there was a lot of stuff like that um, early on or calling in favors for people that are like, hey, we got this show because it's such a freak show pitch on paper that you had to just find people that would see the vision the way that you saw the vision because it is such a bizarre caveat, especially at that time in media plus, no, all interviews are kind of a trust exercise. And if you don't have something um, that people know or that people feel like uh, won't be a total waste of their time, it's a really hard pitch to sell to people. So um, I always think or I always think back on on the thing that was most important was the cult audience that we found. You know, it wasn't always a big popular show, but the people who watched the first episode watch the second, second episode and the third and the fourth and the fifth. You know, we always thought that if we have a celebrity guest, um, they'll come in and whoever's a fan of that celebrity will tune into that episode and then they won't tune into the ones that they don't care about. But we had this sort of real cult audience that was watching every episode and they didn't care about who the guest was. So that really motivated us to tighten everything up and think of it as a, as a classic interview show. That's the oldest construct in the history of media. So how can we dial that in? You know, that I think is the most important thing is to make this a show that independent of this crazy wing eating exhibition is also an unimpeachably excellent interview show. And then if you can combine those things, well, then there you have a hit. So I think it was just about being resourceful, um, taking whatever we can get, 
just trying to put these episodes up and build a body of work. And then once that was to a level that we could actually show people what we can do. And then we had an episode break containment and kind of people discover the show and then have these different temp pole episodes uh, through the evolution of it all is kind of how it all came together. But getting the plane off the ground is the part of the process that is the most difficult. You know, I think even now, another challenge or another unique challenge is kind of staying on top, you know, but I think those are the, the two most challenging parts of the whole journey is to just get that plane off the ground. Cause even if you have a good idea, even if you're competent, it doesn't mean the world necessarily owes it to you to, to make this thing happen for you. So that takes a lot, um, takes a lot of hard work and takes a lot of luck and takes a lot of things, just balls bouncing your way and, and making the most of, that, of what you have and, and making every episode the best you can possibly make it so that you don't lose that call audience. People are like, ah, oh, this show's not scratching that itch for, for me anymore. And they leave. So those are the, those are the challenging things, but I think it's just about, you know, you start with a juice box and you trade it for a baseball card and then, you know, like you end up finally getting that Tesla at the end, you know? So, so that's, I think, uh, think the thing is to just be resourceful, believe in yourself and then always show up when it's lights, camera, action time. And then if you can do that consistently enough, somehow the universe will just keep letting you do it. <laughs> I'm vigorously yeah. taking notes uh, just for the benefit of this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, do what you can. I, uh, you know, Sam, you're uh, bold enough to just send interviews and send pitches and, I was like, this isn't a bad pitch. So uh, let's, let's do it. You know, plus, uh, plus the, the JP connect, I'll do anything for JP. So shout out to JP, but I mean, that's all it takes. Like you just got to believe in your thing. And then uh, to borrow a phrase, uh, borrow a quote from um, David Harbour, who was on the show recently. It's just, you know, uh, you don't, you don't even have to be good. You just have to be tenacious and stick with it. And then uh, hopefully it grows and grows and grows. I'll just continuously tell that to myself. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be good. (laughs) Well, Um, and then too, I always think this is kind of going off on like a side tangent, but like sometimes people ask me that, like, you know, they'll be like, ah, I just graduated college. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, how do I, you know, but I like what you do. Like, how do I do that? And, you know, when I graduated, I kept my summer gig of doing architecture tours of the Chicago River for like a year and a half, two years before I got my first sort of like grown up job. And, you know, that grown up job wasn't really fulfilling to me. But I guess what you can always kind of do is think about um, if you have a dream or a place that you want to be or something that you want to do, like if you want to do stand up comedy, for example, you know, like have a job, but then like see how you can make 10 percent of your life that thing and do that over a course of a year. And through that year, think about how can next year I make this 20 percent of my life? How can the year after that, I make it 30% of my life. And then to kind of break through is maybe a 10 year long process, but I don't know. It just takes those things, the patience and the, and the stick to with um, that you need to at least even have a shot. It's just too competitive. Yeah. And uh, the, that architecture tour gig that you had, I have to say, um, I know that uh, you said on, I think um, uh, Benetti and Casper's podcast on socks degrees that, there wasn't, there wasn't really a lot of like room for, you know, improvisation. It was really kind of stick to the script, but I will say that I think that must, that sounded like 
was kind of jealous of that job. Just thinking about was, besides the one I have now, it's the best job I ever had in my life. You know, I miss it. And then too, I think, you know, with the architecture foundation, they do like volunteer docents that do the tour and stuff. So you have like a lot of um, retired architects or like former architecture professors or just scholars or whatever will come back and do it. And I always think like, that's the dream for me. That's the pot, that's the uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is moving back to Chicago and, and uh, getting some spot on the river and then just ride my bike down on Sundays to just do volunteer architecture tours. So that was like the best job ever. So I'm hoping it can come full circle in some way eventually. Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe you can hand out bottles of hot sauce to people as yeah, you're yeah. <laughs> Um, well, honestly, really the only other thing I got to ask you is, you know, you referenced beer league softball earlier. I do know that, uh, you do have some experience, uh, playing 16 inch Chicago's very own 16 inch softball, um, in, in, when you, you know, your time when you're here in Chicago growing up. Um, so let's say, you know, I'm putting together a team for a tournament. Someone says, I know this guy, Sean Evans, um, bring him as bring him in as a ringer. And they say, well, what does he do? What does he bring to the table? What's the, what's the Sean Evans 16 inch softball scouting report? So I used to play me and my buddies, we'd have this Lincoln park. Uh, we'd have this Lincoln park league and that was the best. Like we play Thursday nights or Saturdays or whatever. And it was just all my friends and it was amazing, but we played, we played eight inch. My dad okay. used to play 16 inch. I remember he <laughs> broke his ankle playing 16 inch and like that, like ended his, his athletic uh, career. Um, but, um, but I guess what I would bring to the table, I don't know. I'm washed now. I think, you know, when I was, when I was playing all the time and, uh, wasn't that many years removed from like playing varsity baseball in high school, I could play some good third base had a good glove, good arm, um, and would get on base a lot. You know, I, I could play a little bit. I could, I could hang in the eight inch league pretty well, but I played last summer after not playing for I don't know six seven years and you lose it like that you know like every fly ball is out in the outfield just playing corner outfield it's like the easiest position to play and I'm just confused on every fly ball tra tracking everything down making just ugly catches and um grounding out to third I'm just like turning over on the swing and stuff so that's the thing I, I think back in the day if you can make a time machine I'd probably be a pretty good player for your team, but I think I'm just, I'm, I'm washed. I'm washed up. Like I just lost it. It's just pathetic out there. I have, I have heard about your arm, I, uh, your, your, your arm in the infield um, from, from your old pal, Adam. Uh, he said, uh, Adam he said, Harris, Adam, Adam Harris. Yeah. He said, you've got a rocket for an arm. Uh, he played on that team. Adam Harris was on that team. And yeah. then we took tie it into the white Sox. Connor McKnight too. Uh, he was on that team too, but yeah, that was a good time. It was just like, buddies from college buddy from buddies from high school and a bunch of 670 the score interns there it was the best <laughs> sounds like a pretty loaded lineup to me <laughs> yeah yeah got the radio guys got the high school guy yeah it was great yeah awesome well thank you for taking the time to talk to us this morning about some white Sox baseball uh so to wrap the show up, essentially, uh, I was trying to think of some really spicy takes before we started recording today. And I think I've, I've gone from like very mild to maybe scorching hot. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and start. So my, my mild take is basically that Ronaldo Lopez is going to emerge as a dominant middle long reliever. Um, probably a little more spicy. Uh, I, I just wrote this down to warm up, but maybe Tony Larusa will finish shedding his exoskeleton before the postseason. Um, 
Probably the spiciest thing I can think of, though, is that Lance Lynn and Carlos Radon will be neck and neck for AL Cy Young. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, listen, I'm with you on uh, on Lopez. You know, he's actually uh, put together. I mean, his stuff's way too nasty to not do something in this league, you know? So I've been really proud of him. He's put together some innings. I think he's probably close to 20 relief innings with the ERA on one and a half right now. So, you know, especially too, with like a bullpen that's been struggling. If he can fill that role, that's a major shift that's like that's like that's a major major thing for him and this like i said is he's just way too nasty to not to not make to not make something make some noise in this league so this maybe is a, a role that fits him and he's looked awesome i have a lot of confidence and he's on the mound right now it's relatively small sample size so we'll see how it goes um lance lynn and, and rodan look like there's just no letting up um with Rodon you know he's not had a season where he puts together those kinds of innings or that many games in a row so you know I hope that they start uh and it looks like they have I think he was on like eight days rest for that Cubs uh um game on Saturday Sunday can't remember but uh which I think is good if they kind of just look manage like load management on uh on Rodon make sure that he keeps that arm healthy because he's been so nasty Lynn I think though is just like a, a junkyard dog he's just like a farm animal you know like I feel like he can just load the innings he's just gonna throw those fastballs and this season he's throwing them by everybody so I think that that's a good take and then my I guess my spicy take is uh, you know, to me, La Russa, you know, when you got hired, every White Sox fan, like, oh, we're crying about it. You know, every time he does something, national media, crying about La Russa. Every time they put out a lineup card on Twitter, everybody crying about it. The the clubhouse seems so loose. They seem to really like him. Um, maybe there was some stuff like some some strategic stuff early on that maybe you could, but like I don't know. I feel like he's been crushing it. The team seems to like him. There's no real locker room drama or everything is. does seem to be some sort of like made up media controversy that doesn't really touch the team or the organization at all. So that's maybe my spicy take is, uh, you know, I said early on before the White Sox ever played a game that I didn't, I, I had no problem with the La Russa hiring and I had his back and I stood alone on White Sox nation and doing that. You can check the tape. I was uh, <laughs> on, on Herb Lawrence and Tannehill's podcast saying that before the White Sox ever even played a game. I fought hard for Tony La Russa then. Uh, I fight for him now. I, I love Uncle Tony and, and the dugout. And uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm all in. I, I Manager of the year, I think. Manager of the year candidate. That's my spiciest take. I will say, seeing him, seeing him run out of the dugout uh, or yeah, I love that the other day. Uh, like the side with that with the south side thing. Like he's just – he's a gift that keeps on giving and they're winning games and they seem to like him a lot. So I think he's proved a, a lot of people wrong and I look forward to watching him continue to do that. Well, there you go. Go ahead and accept this W. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, give, I'll, give, I'll give a lot of credit to the fact that despite kind of everything outside uh, of the team, that there have been no indications, um, even after the your mean thing, that the clubhouse has ever really had any kind of fractures. So there's a lot to be said there, I think. Yeah, and I think too, it's like everybody's like, so, but he doesn't really seem to have a problem with his with his players speaking their mind either. You know, like he's just like, ah, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna say my thing, but then he doesn't like punish people for saying their piece either. Like a lot of these guys will come out publicly and say that they don't mind your mean hitting that EFIS pitch 
500 feet, you know, all of that stuff where like LaRusso zig, they zag, but he seems to have kind of like a sort of open forum. Like everybody can kind of speak their thing and it seems to be working. And I kind of like that. Yeah. What Tim, Tim Anderson say that, uh, that, that he's their dad and, and they're the bad kids that don't listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I like that. That seems like a good, that seems like a good identity, I think. Yeah. I think so too. I, I really appreciate how he's kind of like formed this new kind of like, like patriarch, not necessarily, not necessarily patriarchal, but perhaps like a father figure to a lot of these players. Uh, so I'm all for it. Hey, you know what? The re- relationship with his players is great. If the clubhouse is loose, then, yeah, then I don't have a problem with anything, you know? <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's pretty much all the time we have for today. Once again, thank you so much to Sean Evans for joining us on this Tuesday morning. Like, holy heck, it is early. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks for waking up for me. I I appreciate it. Thanks for having me uh, on the pod. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. We really appreciate it. All right. And go White Sox. Go White Sox. (laughs)